The Falcons may be making a quarterback change once again. And while you may be fed up with Desmond Ritter, Taylor Heineke is definitely not the solution. You are Locked On Falcons, your daily Atlanta Falcons podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome back, everyone, to another illustrious episode of the Locked on Falcons podcast, your daily Atlanta Falcons podcast, part of Locked on Sports Atlanta, your team every day. And today's episode is brought to you by Game Time. Just download the Game Time app, create an account, and use code Locked on NFL for $20 off your first purchase. Last minute tickets, lowest price guaranteed. And guys, if you don't know me, I'm your very humble host, Aaron Freeman. Been covering the Falcons for far too long, formerly at Falcfans.com, RIP. On Twitter, formerly at Falcfans, RIP. Still going strong on threads, even though I haven't posted on threads in like over a month uh, at Falcfans. Go check it out if you want. Uh, but we appreciate each and every one of you that is an everydayer. You may know me as Sirius Black. You may know me as Mr. Drew. But, uh, you know, the, the negative Nancy's or the, the everydayers know me as negative Nancy because they're my friends, right? Because they tune in each and every day. And all you got to do to do so is subscribe or follow for free on YouTube or wherever you listen to podcasts. So today we are talking later about, you know, some of the false narratives about, you know, Arthur Smith's decision to start Desmond Ritter or play Desmond Ritter or not have him compete for a job and how that's a false narrative about the downfall of the Falcons season. We'll talk about real issues. But we'll talk about that later. We'll talk about the false narrative about how if the Falcons manage to start winning games down the stretch, that that's somehow ruining their draft position. And we'll get into that later. But we'll start with the news of the day, which is the Falcons have a quarterback decision looming, right? We're we're basically in the same place today that we were uh, seven weeks ago when we had the similar conversation, right? Arthur Smith basically said on Monday that he hasn't made the decision yet on who's going to start in week 16 against this Colts team. And just like it was at the same time, coming off the heels of that Titans game in week nine, going into the Vikings game. And then they benched Ritter for Taylor Heineke. And now, frankly, they have even more cause to bench Ritter today than they did then because of that egregious interception that Desmond Ritter had at the end of the Carolina game. But the idea of going back to Heineke to me is insane, right? We got nine quarters of Taylor Heineke earlier this season. And then, frankly, from my opinion, it was seven quarters too many, right? And for those of you that need a refresher that weren't around then or don't remember what I said about when Taylor Heineken was a starter during that stretch, he played very poorly in those games, right? Like he couldn't operate the offense. And basically the way I, the simplest way I explained it was like, there's three levels of play calling in the NFL level one, which is your, your rudimentary screens and whatnot, where you're trying to take the quarterback out of the game. Level two is staple concepts that you need to execute in the NFL to be a successful starter. And level three is the advanced stuff that only the elite quarterbacks are really doing on a regular basis. And what happened with Ritter is early in the season, he was struggling with some of the level two stuff. So they kind of dialed it back. But by the time we got to like October, Ritter was mostly operating the level two stuff, right? Minus the turnovers, right? And then we get to Taylor Heineke and we're calling level two stuff against the Vikings and Heineke's struggling to do that. And so you get the Arizona Cardinals game where they're dialing back to like level one stuff, real simple stuff. And even then Heineke wasn't able to consistently execute those things. And, you know, you can sit there and say, well, Aaron, it's it's not about that. It's about the turnovers. And it's like, well, Taylor Heineke's not improving your ability to not turn the ball over, right? Desmond Ritter has 25 turnover-worthy plays and 540 career dropbacks, according to PFF. You know how many 
turnover worthy plays that Taylor Heineke has in his last 530 dropbacks going back to the 2021 season, 35, right? That's 10 more than Desmond Ritter. So Heineke's not solving your turnover problem, coupled with the fact that you're going to have to dumb down your offense for him. So while I get wanting to bench Desmond Ritter because of the boneheaded interception he had against Carolina, I get it. I get it more now, again, than I got it seven weeks ago because the turnovers were a problem then. But at least the three previous weeks where you had a bunch of fumbles and interceptions, they were much more forgivable, relatively speaking. Relatively speaking, again, not saying that they were forgivable, but more forgivable than the interception he just threw against the Panthers. But if you're going to make a quarterback change, then you might as well make it to Logan Woodside. I talked about this with Charles McDonald during the bye week where it's like I'm Woodside should be the QB two moving forward as opposed to Heineke. Now, Arthur Smith, of course, pulled cold water on that and said, like, it's going to be either Heineke or Ritter. Um, but at least to me, maybe again, you don't know because Logan Woodside is an unknown commodity. At least theoretically, Logan Woodside could solve your turnover problem, even if he doesn't necessarily operate the offense as effectively. And frankly, based off of what he did in the preseason, like it seems like he has a pretty good grasp of this offense. So I'm like, I don't think you really have anything to lose if you're going to bench Desmond Ritter and bench him for Delegate Woodside. Don't bench him for Taylor Heineke. Going back to Taylor Heineke is crazy to me, right? And it's funny to me because it's like Arthur Smith gets a lot of grief for stuff, right? A lot of grief, right? But the one thing that he should get the most grief for is the decision to bench Desmond Ritter in the first place for Taylor Heineke then. And if he does it again now, like this is this is the biggest mistakes that he's made. This is objectively the worst decision that he has made, right? And if he does it again, like it's even worse because now you, at least then you had the the idea of Taylor Heineke being an improvement over Desmond Ritter. You had two quarters in the second half against the Titans or really one quarter, the fourth quarter against the Titans that said, Hey, well, if he does more of this, then he'll be an upgrade over Desmond Ritter. He didn't do more of that in the next seven quarters. Didn't come close to approaching that over the next seven quarters. So you have no justification for going back to Taylor Heineke at this point in time. So again, Arthur, Arthur Smith is, is, is going to get grief for a lot of things that he doesn't necessarily control, right? You know, one of those being like, hey, the decision to roll with Ritter this year or, or not have him compete for the job is, is one of those things that Arthur Smith messed up on. And that's a false narrative. And we're going to talk about why that's a false narrative as we continue today's Locked on Falcons. But first, I want to tell you guys about Game Time, the fast and easy way to buy tickets for all the sports, music, and comedy, and theater near you. They got Killer last minute deals, all in prices viewed from your seat and their best price guarantee, right? Killer last minute deals that you can buy tickets uh, in seconds right up to the start of the event and sometimes even after. All in prices means you're not going to get hit with hidden fees. Views from your seat mean you can see the view before you buy so you know exactly what to expect when you arrive. And their best price guarantee means that if you find tickets in the same section and row for less, they'll credit you 110% the difference. Take the guesswork out of buying tickets with GameTime by downloading GameTime app, create an account, and use code LOCKEDONNFL and you'll get $20 off your first purchase. Terms apply. Again, create an account and redeem code LOCKEDONNFL for $20 off. Download game time today. Last minute tickets, lowest price guaranteed. So before we continue today's episode, I do want to plug the Locked On Sports Today 24-7 streaming channel where you can get all the insight from not only National Football League, Major League Baseball, National Hockey League, National Basketball Association, and I'm sure Locked On is cooking up some other things. I know college football, but you know I, I don't know what all the sports that we cover because sometimes I'm like, oh, we got a do we got a lacrosse? We got a Locked On lacrosse? I, maybe we do. I don't know. Uh, that's what the Locked On is always innovating. It's iconic. 
So check out Lockdown Sports Today, your 24-7 streaming channel to get all that national news across the sports, local experts, all that stuff and more. And check out Lockdown Sports Atlanta's 24-7 streaming channel if you want to get more of that local insight on all your Georgia-based sports. So I got to call out my boy uh, for a second, and it's not specifically to attack him, but he tweeted a thing Sunday after the game. And I've seen this go around multiple times over the last several weeks and months, right? And so as I explained before, like when I hear a thing once, it's like, okay, that's one random person's opinion. Twice it's like, oh, that's weird that two people have a random, the same random opinion. And then when I hear it like three or more times, I'm like, okay, now I have to say something because now it's becoming a narrative. And, you know, this person is the third person to say it, but like, you know, we're now at three plus, uh, you know, we're probably at 45 plus at this point in time. But I got to call out my guy, Adnan Ikich at Say Which Way on Twitter, because he tweeted yesterday. Remember when Smith Arthur Smith, that is, decided to outright give Desmond Ritter the starting job with no camp competition and then didn't even play him in the preseason. And I'm sorry, Adnan, I'm I'm not attacking you. I'm attacking the statement because to me, this is a nonsense tweet, right? Because these two statements kind of conflict with one another, right? Like, are you mad at Arthur Smith for giving Desmond Ritter too many reps in practice? Because that's basically all your a camp competition is doing is just cutting his snaps with the ones in half or whatever. Um, and then you're like, well, no, he needs more reps in the preseason and that's the problem. So it's like, which one is it? Is it more reps that Desmond Ritter needs or less reps that Desmond Ritter needs? And if you think more or less reps are solving the the biggest issue with Desmond Ritter turnovers, I, I don't, I don't know. Like how, how is Desmond Ritter getting less practice reps going to mean that he's going to turn the ball over less? Someone explain that to me, you know, how is him getting, you know, 15 more snaps in the preseason going to lead to him not fumbling the football or throwing passes uh directly to the defender like how how does more looks a handful more looks against vanilla defenses going to lead to different outcomes in real football games It, it doesn't make any sense right you know and you know again like goes back to the conversation with heineke where it's like oh like giving heineke more reps would have lead to less turnover like it doesn't make any sense so this is why this is just kind of a narrative, right? And this is the thing that's pervasive and insidious about narratives. Because at first glance, you like you look at what Adnan tweeted and you go like, yeah, that makes sense. Like, yeah, that is a problem. But once you dig a layer deeper, which is what most people don't do when it comes to narratives, it doesn't really pass the smell test, right? When you actually look at the outcomes of games, right? And we'll use this Carolina game, for example, and like ask, why did the Falcons often struggle? Did it have anything to do with preseason snaps or training camp snaps? No, Right. You know, a big reason was the Falcons turning the ball over twice in this game, right? And again, please convince me how practice reps and preseason snaps would have prevented those turnovers from happening. Explain that to me. Another factor was questionable play calling, right? You can you be like, "Mm, why why is Arthur Smith calling this? And it's it's funny to me because like seven weeks ago, everybody was complaining about Bijan's usage. And this game is the first time I think really you have any ammunition to complain about Bijan's usage because the Falcons on early downs, first and second down, ran the ball or handed the ball off 18 times in this game against Carolina, and only Bijan got two of those carries. And it's like they handed the ball off eight times on late downs, third and fourth downs, and Bijan got five of those carries. Like, why is Bijan only getting the ball on on third and longs, right? Like, why aren't we giving him the ball on second and whatever and first and ten? Right? That's weird to me, right? Now, I don't think that's the reason why the Falcons lost the game, but at least, theoretically, if your big beef with Arthur Smith is he doesn't know how to use Bijan. This game was the first game where you can really say that, right? Like you, everybody was mad about, oh, he didn't get one carry inside the five against the Vikings. And oh my God, Arthur Smith's the worst coach ever. And like now it's like, well, why didn't he get at least four or five of those early down carries in this game? 
right? Like now you have four or five plays to complain about rather than one play, right? You know, and we talk about, you know, the the hit rate on, on play calling where it's like if you have five bad play calls in, you know, 65 uh, play sample, like that's still an A minus or whatever. Well, you now have five play calls as well as I'm sure you can come up with five more. And now all of a sudden we, we're going from an A minus to like a B minus or something like that. So, you know, this is the week where like you would find that ammunition, but that's weird that like no one's talking about that. But anyway, here's the big issue. And this has been something that we've been talking about for the last two weeks when you actually look at this game and why the Falcons often struggled. It's the back off ball offensive line that they did a lot of the things that they did from a play calling standpoint and an execution standpoint because they didn't have good enough blocking, right? Smith's game plan was very conservative, right? We touched upon that on yesterday's rapid reaction where the Falcons tried to establish a run but could not get the run game going largely due to their backup offensive linemen not being as good as their starting offense. Like the strength of this run blocking unit has been the right side with Dolman, Lindstrom, and McGarry. And all three of those guys missed the game due to Ryan Newsel, Kyle Hinton, and Storm Norton replacing those guys. And then your leftover starters and Jake Matthews and Matthew Bergeron have been average to below average run blockers all year long outside of like one game. Right. And so that's a big reason why you couldn't run the football. So then you had to rely on your passing game, but you called a very conservative passing game, right? You ran a lot of play action. 67% of your dropbacks this game were play action passes. And for those of you that aren't aware, anything above 35% is a quote unquote egregious amount of play action. Like that is like really, really high, right? And you did it on twice as many plays. Why did you do it, right? Because you wanted to get, you know, you basically were scheming up a way where Derek Brown and Brian Burns didn't wreck your offense like they did in week one, right? Because that's what happened in week one with your starters. And you knew with your backups, oh, there's no chance these guys going to hold up. And, you know, without watching the film yet, but just w watching the game twice now, like, yeah, that's a fair assessment, right? And so you didn't, you wanted to rely on a lot of seven man protections, right? And then when you didn't have seven-man protections, it was a lot of six-man protections, a lot of play action, a lot of rollouts, moving the pocket, all that sort of thing, quick throws, all that stuff. But you did a lot of seven-man protections. And what happens when you do these seven-man protections is you often only release three guys into the route, and oftentimes it's two guys into the route and then like a check down, right? And that's part of the reason why your passing game struggled because it's hard for two guys to get open when six or seven guys are you know in the vicinity covering, right? So that's a big reason why the Falcons often struggle is the backup offensive line led to certain outcomes, certain decisions being made. Right. And we've been talking about this for the last two weeks since the Jets game on this podcast. And it's so reminiscent of what we saw in the first half of the 2022 season where the Falcons ran a high percentage of play action, like 44 percent play action last year, which is, you know, the most in the NFL last year. Right. Trying to mask their offensive line. Right. That was what they did when Mariota was the quarterback. And right. And, you know, the narrative last year after last season was, oh, Mariota was the, the big reason that held back the offense. And while I was critical of Mariota throughout the season, you never heard me pushing that narrative after the season because, yes, Mariota's limitations as a passer did hold the, back the Falcons for a chunk of the season, for a handful of games in that middle sort of quarter uh, of the season, the, the third, what would be the equivalent of the third quarter of the season. But for the first half of the season, the first eight or so games of the season, the Falcons were calling an offense that basically like they did against Carolina this past Sunday, which is they didn't believe in their offensive line. They didn't trust their offensive line. So a lot of play action, a lot of sort of two man, three man route concepts, and that held back their offense. Now they were able to function that way to a four and four record through that first eight weeks of the season, largely due to their ability to run the football. 
and they couldn't run the football. And that's been a problem throughout the season. Part of the reason why they couldn't run the football against Carolina, because they had their backup offensive lineman in. And why did they have their backup offensive lineman in the turf at MetLife stadium? But Hey, we're not going to get into that on today's episode, but it's funny to me because like all summer, like when everybody was talking about Ritter and his practice and all this stuff, what were we talking about here on Lata Vakans? The offensive line depth, Parker has getting cut, all those things that to me are big reasons why this Falcon team hasn't been able to run the football this year, right? Because their backup offensive line just aren't good enough, right? To execute their offense as they would like it to be. So that's going to be something that's going to have to get improved this offseason. And like I say that not as like an I told you so, like, oh, I was talking about this thing and nobody else was, but it's why on this podcast we talk about the things that actually matter, right? And over the next several weeks, months, we're going to hear a lot of things about the Falcons in the season and certain narratives being pushed and whatnot. And some of the more pervasive ones are, oh, the Falcon season was doomed because Desmond Ritter sucks and Arthur Smith is a terrible play caller. But then when you when we actually do the autopsy of the Falcons offense and why it struggled this year, there's going to be the two biggest reasons are going to be the turnovers, which, again, if you just want to summarize that as Ritter sucks and he turned the ball over. OK, that's fine. OK, if that's your stand in for that. But understand, like the turnovers, especially in scoring scenarios like we've seen so many red zone turnovers this year from Desmond Ritter have taken so many points off the board. And we're going to be sitting here talking about Desmond Ritter and the red zone issues in the same way that we were talking about Marcus Mario and the deep ball. Like, Hey, Mario just hits the deep ball on a normal amount of times. Like it does this for the offense. And this off season, we're going to be like, Hey, if Desmond Ritter just turns the ball over in the red zone, a normal amount, which instead of like, I don't know, eight times, it's like, three times or two times <laughs> that it is like, you know, we're talking about where this offense potentially could be, but you know, that's one of the things. And the other factor that's not going to get really any attention because it doesn't fit in either one of those narratives, which is the Falcons all massive regression from the run game this year, right? They've had five games this year where they've had a combined success rate on handoffs of 45% or high, right? Which means that they were efficient running the football, right? Five of those games this year. How many of those games they had last year? 15. So that 10 game difference, that 10 game needs, how do we explain that, right? How do we explain why this team is 10 games worse running the football this year than they have been in previous years, right? And that can't simply be explained, oh, Desmond Ritter sucks or Arthur Smith is a bad play caller, right? Now, I'm sure there's going to be a lot of people that, you know, one one of the narratives is going to be, hey, we if we just get a running quarterback, like Mariota's legs was the reason for that. That's not true. But like, again, that's going to be the narrative. So it's going to lead to people pushing for the Falcons to go out and get certain quarterbacks that also can be running threats and feel like that's going to solve that problem. But it doesn't. But this is what I mean when I say things, guys, like I think people tend to be very reductive because they like to pretend it's like one or two issues that, you know, are the cause of all these problems. And it's like, it's not to say that those one or two issues aren't issues. It is that those one or two issues are just one or two issues. And there are other issues that the Falcons have to deal with that get ignored because they don't fit in with certain narratives like Desmond Ritter sucks or Arthur Smith is a bad play caller. Right. And I know over the next several weeks and months, like there's going to be a lot of things that I say, it's going to be different and people are going to dismiss it because it's like, oh, Aaron's just being a contrarian. And it's not. No, it's just like I don't push these false narratives that other people push that aren't true. Right. Like everybody is saying like, oh, the problem was Marcus Mariota. It's like it wasn't. It wasn't like, again, the Falcons problems went beyond just Marcus Mariota not hitting deep balls or Marcus Mariota going into a slump uh, during the month of November when it came to converting third downs or whatever. Like that was a problem. Don't get me wrong. That affected the outcomes of games. Right. But it wasn't the only problem that they had. But that's not again, that's not going to get the attention because it doesn't fit certain narratives. It's not as reductive as we want to be. So that's, you know, 
what I wanted to say about that, I'm sure I'll have plenty more to say about that in the future, but we'll wrap up today's episode talking about another false narrative, which is the notion that, hey, if the Falcons go out there and start winning games, they're going to ruin their draft position. And we're going to talk about why you shouldn't be that invested on how high the Falcons could be drafting because it doesn't really matter all that much. But if you're hiring for your small business, you want to have those top tier candidates, as many as those as you can possibly interview. And that's why you got to check out LinkedIn jobs, right? The LinkedIn jobs is basically like what people perceive draft position, right? You want to get as many top tier candidates. So the higher you're picking in the draft, the more opportunities you have to find those top tier candidates. But LinkedIn jobs makes it easy in real life, right? Because they have the tools to find the right professionals for your team faster and for free. It's not just any job board. They have a vast network of more than a billion professionals, a billion folks, which makes it a great place to hire. And hiring is easy with that many qualified candidates because it's so easy that 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. That's why small businesses rate LinkedIn jobs, number one, delivering quality hires versus their leading competitors. LinkedIn jobs is going to help you find the qualified candidates that you want to talk to faster. Post your job for free at linkedin.com slash locked on NFL. That's linkedin.com slash locked on NFL to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. So tomorrow we'll be breaking down the all 22 of this. Falcons week six, week 15 loss to the Panthers. Uh, we'll be doing an extended all 22 for the locked on Falcons insider who will get that crisp high definition HD breakdown, not just the audio or video version of the podcast that, you know, the rest of you regular every day, you, you, you common everydayers that are here tuning in on YouTube and elsewhere. Um, so that's a good reason to check out the link in the description below to join uh, to become a Locked On Falcons insider at joinsubtext.com slash Locked On Falcons. So let's talk about draft position, right? And, you know, I'm I'm going to gloss over some things just to kind of simplify things because we don't need to get too caught up in the math. But basically over the weekend, you know, I think last week I said on a podcast, um, sort of draft position doesn't really matter all that much outside of when it comes to drafting the quarterback. And so I was like, how much does it really matter? Because like it's a conventional wisdom that the higher you pick, the better you're you the, the higher your chances of hitting on a quarterback, but does that really hold up to to real scrutiny? And so I did some research over the weekend to look at sort of quarterbacks taken over the last decade, and then I wanted to expand the sample because it wasn't conclusive, based just looking at the last decade to going all the way back to 2000 and looking at quarterbacks taken in the first two rounds, and looking at their adjusted net yards per attempt in their first four years, right? Um, to sort of see like, okay, what can you expect from a early round quarterback on his rookie contract? Um, you know, and basically the link between draft position and that sort of adjusted net yards per attempt or Anya efficiency is pretty loose, right? Like there is a correlation, like when you compare like all, all the quarterbacks in the sample. So, you know, First round quarterbacks tend to do better than second round quarterbacks. And so there is a correlation between draft position when you look at the first two rounds. But when you narrow it down to just first round picks, the correlation becomes less and in large part due to successful guys that were like taken 32 second overall in Lamar Jackson, Drew Brees. I know technically Drew Brees was a second round pick, but you know what I'm saying? And then when you narrow it down to top 10 picks, the, the correlation is is basically non-existent. And basically the difference between the number one overall pick and the number 10 overall pick, the simplest way I can explain it is that it moves the needle like 5%, right? So it moves the needle some, but like a margin, like again, 5% is not 
worth the amount of complaining that we're going to see over the next three weeks if and when the Falcons win. And granted, the Falcons winning games at this point, you know, I I appreciate the Falcon fans that are still faithful, although I know you, you, it's not you think the Falcons are actually going to win these games because you actually think they can. It's more that you're so you're so beaten down by this team that whatever the worst outcome you perceive to be, which is in this case, winning games and ruining your draft position is the outcome that the Falcons will achieve. And so like, yeah, that's, you know, that's fair. That's fair. Uh, You know, 30 years of being a Falcon fan for me, makes me understand that sort of mentality. But I think when, when you talk about draft position, it only really matters in reality. I think basically when it comes to, okay, well, the higher they're picking, the less assets they would have to give up in order to trade up to get one of the top two quarterbacks in this draft, which is Drake May and Caleb Williams, uh, the sort of consensus top two quarterbacks. But again, by the time we get to April, the consensus won't be as strong as, as people think it is. But since it seems very likely that those two guys will be two out of the first three picks in the draft, and if you feel like those two guys are the best bets in this upcoming draft class at the quarterback position, you might want to trade up for one of those guys, right? And so the higher you're picking, the less assets you would have to give. That's the argument, really, the only real compelling argument that you can give up, uh, that you can make for why draft position is going to matter for the Falcons at the quarterback position. However, that's a flimsy argument because it assumes that you actually have a clue on whether or not Drake May or, or Caleb Williams are actually going to be successful in the league, right? Now, again, we can make an educated guess. Right. But at the end of the day, it's still a guess because when we, you know, and I'm going to simplify the numbers just to make the point. But when we look at the hit rate of quarterbacks, like, you know, it, it's like 50%, right? In terms of the hit rate on quarterbacks. And if we, one of the factors that we call a hit on a quarterback is like, oh, that guy was good enough to earn a second contract, right? As a way of doing that. And then when you look at the guys that have gotten second contracts, especially over the last, you know, decade, since the the new CBA and the rookie salary scale has been put in, only about half of those guys, you know, half of those guys that got contracts with like within a year or two, teams lived to regret it. We're talking about like Carson Wentz, Jared Goff, Kyler Murray, Daniel Jones, et cetera, right? And we're also assuming that in a year or two, the Bengals, Chargers, Eagles, and Ravens are not going to be regretting the decisions this past offseason to pay Joe Burrow, Justin Herbert, Jalen Hurts, and Lamar Jackson. And so the point that I'm trying to make is like there's a 50% chance that a guy is good enough to get a second contract. And there's only a 50% chance that once you give that contract, that he's going to be good enough that he's going to live up to the contract. And we'll call that type of player that can check both of those boxes as a true franchise quarterback. And so basically what that means is there's a 25% chance of you finding a franchise quarterback. And if we assume that there's going to be four quarterbacks taken in the first round this year, which, you know, right now is probably the consensus assumption from at least the people that are in the know, not maybe the regular fans, but at least the people that cover the draft year round, right? Yeah, it's going to be Drake May, Caleb Williams, J.J. McCarthy, and Jaden Daniels are the four front runners to be first-round quarterbacks this year. We'll see if other names get thrown into that mix over the next, you know, four to five months. But, you know, that's basically telling us that one out of those four guys, the odds are in the favor that only one of those guys turns into a franchise quarterback. And basically the draft position data is telling us that it doesn't really matter whether those guys go one, two, four, or ten, right? That it each one of them basically have, you know, that – only maybe affects the number slightly, you know, five less than 5% uh, in, in this case. And so even if you're convinced that Drake, the one is going to be Drake May or Caleb Williams, you really only have a 50-50 shot of getting that right, right? If you do decide to trade up for them. And so all of that to sit here and say, 
right? I'm not trying to sit here and suggest that the Falcons shouldn't go after a quarterback. They shouldn't trade up for a quarterback. Again, you can sit there and say, hey, that 50-50 shot that we have of trading up for Drake May or Caleb Williams, whichever that you personally prefer, is 50% higher chance of this team being successful than they would be with sticking with Desmond Ritter. Sure, I agree with you. Not going to argue that point. But over the next three weeks, we're going to hear these tankers be very vocal about, oh, the Falcons are ruining their draft position by winning games. And it's like, there's a false belief that the Falcons have really any control over that. They don't have any control over that, right? Basically, what I'm telling you is it's going to be luck. Purely, as far as we're concerned, it's going to be no different than being random luck that determines which of these four quarterbacks is going to be that franchise quarterback. And a lot of that depends on the nature versus nurture debate when it comes to quarterback development. And that's the one thing that the Falcons do have control over right, or really any team has control over it, is the nurture aspect of it as the environment that they can drop that quarterback in, which is what we spent so much time this offseason discussing, and we'll spend more time this upcoming offseason discussing. But again, that's not going to get as much attention because, again, the narrative is, oh, my God, if the Falcons are picking 10th or 14th or 6th or something, like that's going to be the thing that determines their success moving forward when it really doesn't matter. Uh, but I just want to make that clear. It's going to be one of the reasons why you're going to hear me pushing back against tankers and that narrative uh, over the next three weeks. Um, and we're not going to spend much time talking about it because not to say it doesn't matter, but it doesn't matter nearly as much as people think it does. But that is going to do it for us here. Uh, hopefully we dispelled some false narratives. We'll uh, break down the film on tomorrow's episode. Continue to make us your first listen. Uh, we're all part of the Lockdown Podcast Network. Lockdown Sports Today, Lockdown Sports Atlanta, 24-7 streaming channel. Lockdown, Sport, Lockdown Podcast Network, your team every day.